We're happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And it's good to be home. I've been away for the last several weeks in Windsor Locks, and it's good to be home here with our church again. Um, I do have two announcements to make. One is on behalf of the pastor. First, he'd like me to announce that anyone wanting to sing in the choir for Christmas choir pro, for a program, not really a program, just a Christmas thing we're doing, um, there will be some requirements involved in that. But if you're interested in singing and you haven't been spoken to yet, please see Sister Dibble after service. And she'll go over everything with you. But if you're interested in being part of that Christmas choir, see her after service. And that will be that. Secondly, to our young people, it was announced we'll be having our Christmas party, annual Christmas party at our house on December 14th. Please see me after service if you're planning on coming. Because we do uh, Secret Santa every year, and also we have some other things we're going to be doing this year. So see me after service. We're going to have a good time with that in a couple weeks. I'm so grateful. Um, We had youth night Friday night, and we played a game. We played Candyland. It was really cool. Go around. We got to eat lots of candy when you get, you know, it's a modified Candyland. You actually get candy and get to eat it, which was kind of cool. But we had a good time with that. And then after that, we were going to play some more games. And one of the girls said, can can you turn the piano on? And it turned into kind of like a jam session, worship session after, you know, just singing and praising the Lord. It was a good time. We had a good time. So thankful that our young people can do more than just play games, you know, can sing and worship the Lord and praise him even when it wasn't even the time we were supposed to be doing that. So it was a good time. We're going to look to the word of the Lord this morning. I will try to be very brief. I know what time it is, but I do feel that the Lord wants to move in this place this morning. I'm thankful for his presence and his anointing that we've already felt. We want to allow God to minister. Numbers chapter number 11, verses beginning in verse 31. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation, so if you're on your phone and you want to go to that, or if you're in your Bible, just follow along, but we're going to read most of the scriptures we have today from the New Living Translation, beginning in verse number 31. Now the Lord sent a wind that brought quail from the sea and let them fall around the camp. For miles in every direction, there was quail flying about three feet above the ground, So the people went out and caught all that day and throughout the night and all the next day, too. No one gathered less less than 50 bushels. They spread the quail all around the the camp to dry. But while while they were gorging themselves on the meat, while it was still in their mouths, the anger of the Lord blazed against the people, and he struck them with a severe plague. And that place was called Kibroth Hattavah, which means graves of gluttony, because there they buried the people who had craved the meat from Egypt. For just a little while this morning, I'm going to preach from this very strange title, Kibroth Hattavah, which as we read means graves of gluttony. Lord, we thank you today, Jesus. 
Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be in your house, to hear from your word today, O God. And we pray that you would anoint it and that you would touch our hearts and open our hearts to receive what you would have for us today and help us, Lord, to respond to the word of God that we hear. And we give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated this morning. So the scripture we read here talks about a place that they named, which would be termed Graves of Gluttony. I did research it a little bit. It is called Graves of Gluttony or Graves of Desire. There's two different ways of what they have, how this place was interpreted to mean Graves of Gluttony or Graves of Desire. See, God had provided Israel with manna for them to eat. Who knows what manna is? What was it? Chick-fil-A? Nice. That'd be nice. What, Lily? Angel food. Manna was angel food. It's the food that the angels ate. And it, um, so I, I think that'd be pretty cool to get angel food. Not angel food cake. It probably wasn't good for you to have angel food cake every day. But angel food. I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry, Brother Ken. I didn't want to bust your theology there. My bad. But it was the food that the angels ate on a daily basis. You know, Israel was a bunch of complainers. Let's go through some of the things that God did for Israel. He brought them out of slavery. He guided them away from the Egyptian army. And then what happened when they caught up? What did Israel do? They complained. What, Moses, did you bring us? Did God bring us out of Israel or out of Egypt just so we could die? Here in the wilderness? Did he bring us out so that we, we could be killed by the Egyptian army that found us? But then what did God do? He parted the Red Sea, let them walk across on dry ground, and then drowned the entire Egyptian army in the sea after them. He saved them that day. While Moses was up on the mountain getting a word from God, what did they do? They sinned. They built the golden calf. They, uh, they began to complain. Oh, God brought us here and then Moses left us. We're here all by ourselves. So they made their own God. God made their shoes and their clothes never wear out. How'd you like that, Mariah? Avery, Angie, would you guys like that? Never for 40 years to have to buy another pair of clothes or another pair of just the same shoes and the same clothes every day for like 40 years. That'd be cool, right? I think it'd be great. That'd be awesome. But they never wore out. They didn't have to worry about it. Just the normal things of life. They didn't have to worry about it. When they were thirsty, what did God say to Moses? Smite the rock. And he hit a rock and water came out. Speak to the rock. Well, he smote it again, but he did. Water came out. When they were thirsty, he provided for them. And when they were hungry, he gave them manna every single day. God always provided for Israel, but they never truly appreciated it. And in the text we read, they were complaining about different things. Now, just imagine this. Every morning, you wake up in the morning, whatever time you wake up, and you go outside your tent, you stretch, and you go into the middle of the camp, and there's manna. All the manna you could think of, food. So what they would do is they would grab the food, and they'd bring it back to their tent, and it would stay good for the entire day. 
and they had to eat it all or it would spoil and go rotten. But just imagine that, parents. When you get up in the morning, you don't have to cook breakfast. You don't have to even really, you know, it's kind of like cereal. You know, you just pour the cereal and put the milk in and here you go. There's your breakfast. But you don't have to cook breakfast. You don't have to cook lunch. And you don't have to cook dinner. All the mothers in here are saying, praise the Lord. That's awesome. I don't have to cook a meal for five people. Just there it is. It's all set. You don't have to go to the store to prepare it. You don't have to put it in the fridge to keep it good. You don't have to thaw it out because you want to eat it later. No, it's all there. It's, it's everything you can have. Your food is there every single day. But that wasn't good enough for Israel. They began complaining. They didn't have to do any gardening, no hunting, no, no nothing. All, all of their needs were provided for. But if you read the chapter that we, that we read here in Numbers chapter number 11, if you read the whole thing, they began to com complaining about things that they didn't have anymore. And the main thing they began to complain about was food. They began to say things literally like, the food in Egypt was better than what we have. They began to say things like, we were better off when we were in Egypt. Because at least the food there tasted good. At least we had some variety when we were in Egypt. We miss the melons and the cucumbers and the fish and the leeks and the garlic. They missed all of that variety of food. Food was better there, right? That's what they said. And they began complaining. Maybe we were better off in Egypt. But forgetting in their minds that even though the food was better there, they were in bondage. They forgot the fact that if I didn't meet my quota of the number of bricks that I was supposed to make today, I might not even get to enjoy that food. If I didn't do exactly what I was supposed to do myself, I might get whipped or I might get beaten. If I didn't do what I was supposed to do, my children didn't eat that day. They forgot that part of it. They forgot the part of it that they were slaves, that they were in bondage, that all they did all day long was carry bricks and then bring it across or carry straw to make bricks or make brick and mortar and build all the things. They forgot the bad things about Egypt and they began to long for the one or two good things that they had while they were in Egypt. It's crazy how often our perspective can be just a little bit off. Now we can be off of what God, we see things with just a very limited spectrum, not realizing that while food may taste better in Egypt, it is 100 times worse to be in Egypt than it is to be free in the wilderness with God. The things that are immediately on our minds and bother us make us longing for something and willing to overlook all of the bad things that comes along with that one little something just to have a taste of the little things that we're desiring. And that's the way that we are sometimes as Christians. We long for things of the world, but don't have an understanding that these things mean that I have to sacrifice the things of God to get the few little things that are in the world. That I have to give up the things that are going to allow me eternal salvation to have the few little things that the world might have good to offer me. We totally forget 
that doing things of the world compromises the word of God and could keep us from making it to heaven and send us to hell. But many people die spiritually because of their right now desires for things in their lives. And they let their right now personal need or desire outweigh their eternal spiritual needs and desires in our life. We want money so bad that we're willing to sacrifice biblical things to attain it. We want the pursuit of the American dream, popularity and things like that these desires overcome God salvation and truth in our lives the pursuit of these things and attaining them to may bring temporary satisfaction but the attainment of them comes with a price and that is slavery and eternal damnation Israel forgot that freedom and the favor of God greatly outweighed anything good that they might have had in their short in their time that they were in Egypt. Galatians chapter number four verses one through seven says, think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are no better off than slaves until they grow up. But even though they actually own everything their father had they have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father has set and that's the way it is with us before we came to christ we were like little children we were slaves to basic spiritual principles of the world but when the right time came god sent his son born of a a woman subject to the law god sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children and because we are his children god has sent his spirit into our hearts prompting us to call out abba father now you are no longer a slave But you are God's own children. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. You don't have to return to the world. You don't have to return to the sins or the things of the world because you are no longer a slave to sin. You are no longer a slave to the things that the world has that they could bind you with. Israel was free from their longing, from their bondage, but they began longing for the things that bonded them in the first place. They let something so small as the taste and variety of food become more important than the freedom and the blessings of God that they had in their life. They let the the promise of a promised land be gone completely from their mind and began to long for slavery because there was one thing there. The promised land was a land that flowed with milk and honey. It had everything to meet every need and desire they could ever have. But they wanted slavery again because the right now that would have given them the exact food that they wanted. They didn't want to wait 40 years until they got to the promised land. They wanted it right now. And sometimes that's the same way with us. Heaven doesn't seem to come quite fast enough. So I'm just going to go back to the things that used to give me comfort and go back to the things that used to make me happy, not even realizing that I'm sacrificing the forever promised land that we have. And that's what Israel did. They began longing for things that they didn't have any business desiring anymore. They began desiring the sinful nation over God and the things that he had for them. What happens when we go back to sin instead of serving God? Spiritually, we die. We preached to our young people a a couple months ago 
about the blood covering of God and how if you step outside of the church and if you step outside of the umbrella of God and if you step outside of his protection, you could die. Spiritually, you could die. If you turn your back on God and walk away from him, your soul could die. We've been reborn. We've been born again in the name of Jesus, but we could die. We could lose everything if we turn our backs on God. And many of Israel's people began to desire things that God delivered them from over the things that he was giving them in in the first place. He brought them out of bondage, but they wanted it again. And they were in this place that they named Kibroth Hattavah, which means to them graves of gluttony, because many, many of them literally choked on the food that God gave them because of their selfish desires, and they died in that place. You know, gluttony is not always just about food. In this case, it was about physical food and wanting it physically. But I do believe that there was a deeper rooting issue in them more than just the food that they desired. Israel was tired of wandering. I believe they were getting worn out and a little weary. You know, maybe the excitement of being liberated from slavery was beginning to wear off of them. And I believe that oftentimes we get caught up in the same mentality in our lives. We get saved, we get changed, we get filled with the Holy Ghost, and it's pretty awesome. You know, the initial feeling of happiness, the initial joy that we have. But eventually, if we don't maintain our relationship with God, and if we don't maintain our desire for him, and this happiness and this excitement eventually begins to wear off. I want to caution us today to be very careful to guard your mind. Salvation, the promise of eternity, it's more important than anything this world has. And if our minds are not guarded, if we're not, we don't have the helmet of salvation on, we can be destroyed within our mind. The mind is a very important thing. The brain or the mind controls every movement in your body. And it controls everything that you do. And we need to guard our minds from trouble. The mind is very important to you. You need to be careful what you let in your mind. That means you need to be careful what you see with your eyes. And you need to be careful what you hear with your ears. The things we watch, the things we listen to, the places we go, the things we do, it all affects our mind. And when our mind gets turned away from God, and to things that are opposite of the word of God. Then our minds become corrupted. And we begin to get in the same exact place that Israel was in. Where their mind began to remember the taste of the food that they had. And just that small little taste, that small little memory pulled their desires away from God. And put their desires back in Egypt and in slavery. Because one little thing of the world took their minds completely off of the amazing things that God had already done. Be careful what we allow into our lives. Isaiah chapter number 44. I'm not going to read the whole thing. I was going to read a lot of it, but for time purposes, I won't read a whole thing. But reading a little bit of it, starting in verse 10 says, but a fool in new living translation, a fool would make, his own God, an idol 
that cannot help him one bit. All who worship idols will be disgraced along with all of the craftsmen, mere humans who claim that they can make a God. They may stand all together, but they will stand in terror and in shame. The blacksmith stands at his forge and makes a sharp tool, pounding it, shaping it with all his might. He, he works, his work makes him hungry and makes him weak. It makes him thirsty and faint. Then the woodcarver measures a block of wood and draws a pattern into the block of wood. He works with a chisel and plane and carves it into a human figure. He gives it human beauty and puts a little, puts it in a little shrine. He cuts down trees and selects the oak and then he plants it in the forest to be nourished by the rain. Then he uses part of the wood from the tree he cuts down to make a fire. With it, he warms himself, bakes his bread, and then, yes, it's true, he takes the rest of the tree and makes himself a god to worship. He makes an idol and bows down in front of it. He burns part of the tree to roast his meat to keep himself warm and says, yes, this fire feels good. Then he takes what's left and he makes a god and carves an idol. He falls down in front of it, worshiping and praying, rescue me. You are my God. Such stupidity and ignorance. Their eyes are closed. They cannot see. Their minds are shut. They cannot think. The person who made the idol never stops to reflect that it was only a mere block of wood. And he burned half of it for heat and used the rest to make his meat. How can this wood be a god? Should I bow down before a piece of wood? These poor, deluded fools feed on ashes. They trust in something that cannot help them at all. Yet they cannot bring themselves to ask the question, is this idol I'm holding in my hand a lie? You see, so often today in our society, people worship the creation over the creator. So often people take things that have no significant spiritual value and add unto them significant value into their lives. And they allow this thing to become an idol that they worship in the place of God. Isaiah says that the block of wood that you have cut down is, is just an idol. It's not real. He said in here, you took half of the tree or part of the tree and you made a fire and you cooked your food over it and you warmed yourself by it. And then you took the rest of the tree and you built yourself a God to worship. How foolish. But how are we the same so many times? We take things that have no value, that have no meaning. We take money that we have to get to buy food, and then it becomes more important to us than God. And we're willing to sacrifice going to church, and we're willing to sacrifice giving to God or doing the things of God to use that money to buy something that we have. It becomes more important to us than God. And it's not just money. There are things in this world that we allow to become more important to us than God. Sports can be an idol. We often talk about sports. We like sports, but it can become an idol. Jobs can become an idol. Fame can become an idol. Money can become an idol. Talent can become an idol. Substances can become idols. Relationships, love, and the desire of those, they can become idols. People can become idols in our life. 
and spiritually, if I put my preaching of the word of God before God, it can become an idol. If I put my musical talent and my musical ability, not that I have any, but if, if you have it and you put that before God, it can become an idol. Anything that I take in my life and I make it more important than God can become to me an idol. Even the anointing and the call of God upon my life, I can worship the call of God. I can worship the ability to do something for God more than I worship God. They can become idols. When I take credit for a message that was preached instead of giving praise to God for what he did through it, it becomes an idol. When I take credit for my song that I sang and how well that I did, more than giving God the praise for what was done, it becomes like an idol in my life. And what if God was like you and me? Every time he did something great, he was like, hey, look at that. I did that. God doesn't do that, but we do. We make the game-winning shot, and we're like, "Woo! look what I did. God heals somebody, and he just does it because he loves them. Doesn't puff himself up. He doesn't make himself look amazing. He just does things because he loves us, because he cares. We do things because we want recognition, because we want gratification, because we want people to know what we have done, when in all actuality, most of what we do is God given ability to do the things that we do. We need to be very careful to allow talent, to allow things to get glory in our lives more than God to get glory in our lives. If my work for God is more important to me than God, then I've totally missed God's ability to use me and what he's desiring to do through me. Matthew chapter number 7, verses 22 and 23. On the day of judgment, many will say, Lord, we've prophesied in your name. We've cast out devils in your name. We've performed many miracles in your name. And he will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. You say, I'm off base, I'm, I'm wrong with the idol thing. I don't think so, because so many people are going to do things for the work of God, but they're going to do it without God being involved in it, and they're going to miss it. He said that in the last days, people, when, the, when the Lord comes again, people are going to knock on the door and say, Lord, I did this, I did that. I was at church every Sunday. I worshiped God. I praised God. I pray. I did different things, but... God was not the most important thing in your life. And there were so many other things that you allowed to be more important to God that you missed it. And you're not able to come into the glory that God has forever. Hebrews chapter number 2 verses 1 through 4 says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth that we have heard. Or we may drift away from it. For the message God delivered through his angels has always stood firm in every violation of the law. Every act of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus, then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? And God confirmed the message with signs and wonders, giving various miracles and gifts of the spirit whenever he chose. We've got to take the truth of God 
and hide it in our hearts. We've got to know the truth. We've got to understand the truth. We've got to love the truth or we may drift away from the truth. In fact, Matthew chapter number 24, which talks about the signs of the Lord's return, says, at the end of the world states that unless the days be shortened, unless God comes back earlier than he planned on coming back, even the very elect would be lost. Even the faithful, even the godly, even the church would get so caught up in the sin of the world that they may be lost and not ready to go be with him. This is not the time to ignore the Bible, for we are living in the last days. This is not the time to drift away from God, for we are living in the last days. This is not the time to long for things of earth earth, or to devalued the things that spiritually we have in our lives because we are living in the last days. This is not the time to put desires for the world over our desires for salvation. But this is the time to desire God more than anything. This is the time to desire more holiness, more purity, more godliness, more anointing, more spirituality, more grace than ever before. The paths of this world end in nothing but graves of gluttony. We read a story of the Bible, and I'm almost done. Two men. One of them is not named. The other's name is Lazarus. One of them is simply just called the rich man. And then Lazarus. The rich man was exactly that. He was a rich man. He had a lot of possessions. He had a lot of things that the world had to offer. He had all the good food. He had all the money. He had the nice clothes. He had the nice big house. And who was Lazarus? Lazarus was the man that didn't have a home, didn't have much food, didn't have any money, didn't have many clothes. He's a man that just sat at the, the other man's gate and begged for money and begged for food. But there was other unique differences in their life. The man that was rich desired only pleasures of the world. But Lazarus lived a life according to the word of God. And Lazarus served God and worshiped God. He was willing to have absolutely nothing on this earth in order to make it to heaven and have eternal peace and eternal comfort. Whereas the man... The rich man wanted everything on this earth and had no regard or no concern for where he would spend eternity. The Bible says that when, Abraham, when um, Lazarus died, he was brought to Abraham's bosom. He was carried to Abraham's bosom. And when the rich man died, he was buried in a grave. His gluttony his desires for things of the world ended in nothing but a grave to be buried. And then the Bible says that while the rich man was in hell, he looked across the great gulf to see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, sitting in peace. The rich man was in torment, pain and anguish and all of the things that comes along with not making it to be with the Lord. He was in, in anguish and he saw the Lazarus in peace and he asked God please send Lazarus 
just one time to dip his finger in cool water and touch my tongue and give me some sort of relief from this pain that I'm going through. You see, when you live for God, there is great blessing. There's great reward. When I cast aside the things of the world and desire God more than anything else, there is a great eternal salvation that is waiting for me. But if I put the things of the world, if I desire food or if I desire things that are not of God, there is only a grave that is waiting for me. An eternal pain, an eternal sorrow, an eternal hurt. Let's stand together this morning. This story illustrates something amazing to us. What does it matter if I live in a palace, but I don't know how to get in God's presence? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world, but lose his own soul? And I ask a question that was also asked in the Word of God. What would you give in exchange for your soul? I want you to search yourself this morning and see, is there an idol in my life that has become more important to me than God? Is there something that I have put in my life that I make more important than being saved? I care more about relationships with people than I do about my relationship with God. Do I care more about money or fame or popularity or drugs or alcohol or or movies or music or things in this life that are more important to me that I'm just not willing to give up? They're idols that are becoming more important than God. And instead of pulling you closer to God, you're driving yourself farther away from Him, getting yourself to a grave of your desire, a grave of your gluttony, just like Israel did in the Bible. But today, just like a different Lazarus, there was another Lazarus in the Bible. He died. But a few days later, Jesus traveled to where he was and he spoke those wonderful words, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of that grave and he lived again. And that same God that spoke those words to Lazarus is standing right here today, speaking to someone, to you, and commanding you to come out of your desires of the world, commanding you to come out of your grave of the desire that you have built for yourself and he is calling you he's telling you you don't have to hurt anymore you don't have to fear anymore someone doesn't have to go to bed every night crying because they're sorrowful and they're sad you don't have to deal with the problems of the world anymore if we could come to Jesus today we can come out of the grave of gluttony that I've built. I can take those desires. I can take those things that those, whatever it is you're dealing with, whatever it is that you personally are going through, I can fill in a thousand blanks, but you have to fill in the blank for yourself. What is it in my life that is more important to me than God? And today I'm opening these altars to challenge anyone that has something in your life that's more important than God. It's nothing to be ashamed of if you have something in your life that is keeping you from the presence of God that is keeping you from your relationship with him whether whatever it is outside of the church 
you need to come to an altar and find a place where God can change your heart because if you're not careful it's going to end in a grave of desire the things outside the church will lead to nothing but pain and sorrow it will lead to nothing but happiness unhappiness and sadness without God it will lead to things that are most impossible for us to go through because we don't have God they lead to spiritual death physical death and eventually eternal death but there's hope today there's a God that's in this place and he's telling you the things that are in the church the things that follow after this word of God if I can apply it to my life it leads to joy it leads to love it leads to mercy it leads to grace it leads to peace it leads to eternal life with Jesus Christ these altars are open this morning that is what you're coming here seeking. God, I pray, Lord, that you would touch today, Jesus. God, begin to move upon someone's heart, the heart of someone that's hurting God, the heart of someone, Lord, that's been seeking after the wrong things in life, God, that's been giving themselves away to things of the world, oh God. Lord, I pray, begin to touch hearts today, Jesus. God, we cannot be like the Israelites, God. We cannot get to a place where we desire things more than I desire, God. I cannot get to a place, oh Lord, with my own Kimbrough head of our God. Lord, we cannot fall into the graves of our desire. We cannot fall into the graves of sin, Lord Jesus. But I pray, God, that you would begin to release yourself today, God. Lord, begin to release your people from graves that they've dug themselves into, oh God. Lord, begin to release your people, God, from things that we've made more important than you, oh God. Lord, we may not even have done it on purpose. It might not even be something we realize, God. But we've built idols in our lives that we've allowed to become more important than you, oh God. God, today is a day for someone to come up out of that grave, oh God, to live again, Lord God, to be reborn in the name of Jesus, to be reborn by the power and anointing of the Holy Ghost, God, to be reborn by your Spirit, God, given a new life today, given another chance, oh Lord, to seek you first, to desire you more than things of the world, oh God, to desire you, Lord, more than
spirit, God. I need your joy, oh God. I need your peace, oh God. I need your comfort today, Lord Jesus. nothing more important to us than you today. God, we need you today, Jesus. Oh, let the joy of the Holy Ghost begin to flow right now. Come on, minister one to another. Allow God to speak to us today.
Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I came into this service this morning and I just had this overwhelming feeling like there were some folks that needed a breakthrough in the Holy Ghost tonight. I believe some of you received that today. Some of you could have, but didn't, but many did. And I'm thankful for the fact that you allowed the Lord to work in your life. We were standing here at the end of the altar service. It was just scanning faces, thinking back over the last 25 plus years, um, 25 that we've been here, but more than that. When I saw when the Lord began his work in your life, I remember those that received the Holy Ghost at junior camp and junior camp a long time ago. Amen. I was thinking about that one uh, night at the altar. We were praying. And Sister Karen had started coming to church for a prayer summit meetings. And we were praying with her. And I remember leaning over to Sister Joan as we were praying and saying, does Sister Karen have the Holy Ghost? She said, I don't think so. I said, well, she does now. Uh, I remember that. I remember that tent on parking lot in Ashford, Sister Becca, when we were praying with Erica. She almost ripped the sleeves off my shirt when she received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I remember that night. Almost everybody was gone, but God was still moving. Others, my children, those of you who have seen God begin a good work in you, and he is not done yet. There is so much more that God wants to do in your lives. Amen. As we keep our hearts, our minds, our focus on him, not allow the distractions of this world, not allow the temptations, the shiny things that devil throws in our direction the desires even of our own flesh most of the time we don't even need the devil to get us in trouble we can do it all by ourselves but god's not done yet he forgives he restores and he challenges us to do more and to be more so i want to encourage you today Take this word of God that you've heard. Let God speak to your heart, minister in your life. Let it speak to you, but let it also encourage you to strengthen somebody else who is struggling as well. And many times when we're in church and we see somebody not in service, we're hesitant to reach out. We don't know what the circumstances may, may be. We don't know if somebody may be traveling, not feeling well dealing with the job situation, whatever. And I want to just challenge everybody here today. Take a look around. And right now, like, take a look around. You see somebody who's not here that you normally would see? Just reach out to them. You don't have to call them and say, hey, you weren't in church today. What's going on? No, don't do that. Just say, hey, I missed you. I don't know what the deal is, but I'm praying for you. Whatever. If you're working, you're away, you're whatever. Just, I want you to know that I saw you weren't here and I'm praying for you. Whatever it is. And then do that. 
pray for them. If they're traveling, pray God, give them strength, mercies, and bring them back safe. They're sick, pray God, heal them. If they're struggling, pray that God would encourage them, lift them up, restore them. Let's pray, believe, and be an encouragement and help one another. We're so close, so close to the end, so close to the end, but God's not done yet. Amen. I don't want to be buried in some grave. I want to see the finish line and bring somebody with me. And don't forget Tuesday night, 6 o'clock, our Thanksgiving dinner, Saturday prayer, all of the things that are going on in the house of the Lord, amen, over the course of the next uh, weeks and months. And also, again, as Brother Andrew mentioned, if you want to participate in the Christmas choir, um, I know Sister Dobel has got some CDs, um, so please see her this morning and, um, and see what uh, the Lord will do. Amen. And ministering as we celebrate this season. Amen. God bless you. It is so good to see all of you in the house of the Lord. Be encouraged and strengthened today. Amen. You're dismissed in Jesus' name.